So guys, tonight, uh, I appreciate you being here with us, and I know we've got people that are listening online as well to the podcast, Uh, and tonight we're going to be talking about leading in crisis, Um, and this is the thing, if you are leading in any area, whether it's your family or workplace, um, whether you are leading a department or a company, you will lead in crisis at some point because crisis is a part of leadership. Uh, The nature of leadership dictates that you will be leading in crisis at some point or another. Uh, Sometimes it feels like that's all we're doing is leading in crisis, is putting out fires, Uh, but crisis is a part of leadership. And if we're afraid of that, then you probably should not be in a leadership seat uh, because that's just part of of, um, being a leader. For me personally, and I'm sure it's for you too, if you have staff or if you have a team that you lead, uh, I I select staff partially based on uh, how well do they put out fires? How well do they solve crisis? And um, it doesn't matter how good you are at solving crisis if you're the one who's causing the crisis. So I would say uh, if you're great at putting out fires, but you're putting out all of your fires, that's not... That's not a net win for the organization. So I need, I need to select people who not only know how to put out fires and in crisis, but they also don't start their own crisis. Uh, we have enough as a church, we have enough issues that we're dealing with and challenges that we're dealing with without, without creating our own issues. So one of the things I talk to our staff about a lot is don't create your own problems uh, because there's enough problems to go around without you creating your own. Um, so... I just want to walk through some principles with you tonight. Before I get into that, though, I will, again, if you like lists, this is your night. I I like lists, so I'll share a couple things with you before we get into the principles for leading through crisis. Um, Crisis comes because, in my opinion, there's kind of three reasons crisis comes your way. Um, and, And this is true somewhat even in your family, but it's definitely true in an organization. Uh, The first is outside forces. There are outside forces outside of your organization or your family that can cause a crisis. So if you're in a sales environment, it might be a market shift. Um, Kodak is not nearly the juggernaut that it was 20 years ago. And the reason is because the market shifted. Uh, Nobody cares about developing pictures anymore. They're all digital. And Kodak was way too late adjusting to the market. So this outside force caused a crisis for their company. Uh, Shopping malls uh, all across the country are in crisis because they didn't anticipate the market shifts and changes. And if you look at at 90% of the Fortune 500 companies uh, today, I'm sorry, 90% of the Fortune 500 companies from 1955 are no longer Fortune 500 companies today. The market has shifted, things have changed, and that company is no longer who they were. There was crisis that came along because the market shifted. Um, And if you look at, and again, you might not care about this, if you look at the S&P 500, of all the businesses that are on the S&P 500 today, market analysts say that 10 years from now, half of them will not be there anymore. And so the market can change very quickly and it can impact businesses um, and it can change things if we're not ready for that. And these are crises that we need to respond to. Uh, The second thing is this, cultural shifts. Um, The values of a given culture, not just of a nation, but even our culture uh, 
corporate, uh, not corporately, but just uh, locally here in Indiana is different than the culture on a wider level. Um, the culture of our church is different than the culture of other churches, the culture of your organization. All these things can shift over time. So cultural shifts outside of the organization can impact what's going on inside the organization. Families look very different today uh, than they did 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, just to give you an example, so with our church, uh, one of the things we look at is how many people attend. That's an easy number to measure. It's not the main number we measure, but it's one of the things we look at. It's a, that is a lagging indicator for us. So it's something we measure, but it's not the most important number for us. But one of the things we see is uh, culturally, it's very accepted for people who are very committed to church to only attend church once or twice a month now. 20 years ago, that was not the culture. The culture said, if you were committed to church, you're going to go to church four times a month. And if you had multiple services, you're going to go to Sunday night. You're going to go to Wednesday night. You know, you're going to be there all the time. And so the culture has shifted. And for churches that haven't shifted with that or made adjustments, there can be a crisis because they can look and go, why is our attendance down? What's going on? And, and it might just be because people are attending church less than they used to be. So culture can impact your businesses. They can impact your, your families. And it can cause a crisis if we're not ready. Even in, in sales environments, I worked for as a headhunter uh, years ago. And one of the things I saw is, as I was trying to, to uh, place people in different companies, is when the election season rolled around, everybody stopped making decisions. They said, oh, we're not hiring, we're gonna wait on the election. And that impacted what we were doing. And all of a sudden, my placements dried up because everybody wanted to wait for November to see what the results of the election were. And so even some things like that, it's an external, it's an outside force, a cultural force that can impact uh, crisis in your, in your company, in your department, whatever it might be. And the, the third thing on outside forces is this, just your consumers or your clients. Uh, for us as a church, it might be the people who attend, the attendees, but that can shift, that can change. If you don't pay attention to those people, uh, it can cause crisis. The second thing is inside forces. This is your stakeholders. These might be your staff or your volunteers. Um, if, if you're leading an organization that you have shareholders, you understand that many times people bow, the leadership bows to the shareholders. Um, and if the shareholders make a, a decision, they want to do something different, then it can cause a crisis in the organization. There are many churches that struggle because the leadership bows to uh, whatever the people in the seats want. And when that happens, it can cause crisis in organization because then you're moving in different directions. You've got multiple visions. It can, it can be an issue. Um, and so there are inside forces. Maybe you get a, have a staff member. Maybe you lead a department and you've got a team member who they're not in line with the vision. They're out of alignment. And because of that, they get sideways. They start having meetings after the meetings and they start saying, I don't know about, and all of a sudden there's this divergent vision within your organization. And because this person has gotten sideways, it causes a crisis on your team. So there are inside forces at work as well. And then the third reason that crisis comes is because uh, failure of a leader. 
Sometimes it's a failure to lead or plan effectively. Um, You've probably all been part of organizations where a leader just didn't plan very well for something that happened. Maybe it was a a cultural shift. Maybe it was an external shift and the leader just failed to plan. And as a result, the organization was in crisis. Uh, The second kind of failure could be a moral failure, Uh, especially in the context of church. If, if I did something stupid, uh, it would be a crisis for the church. If I had an affair or if I did some, you know, started stealing money or whatever it was, it would be a crisis for this organization. And what you see many times is leaders tend to think that uh, they're immune to those kind of things. And, and to me, the best leaders are the ones that understand that uh, the higher you go in leadership, the more, uh, the, the more accountability you need. It's not the opposite because we think the higher we go in leadership, the less accountability we need, but it's really just the opposite because the higher we go in leadership, the more there is at stake for us if we do something stupid. And so it's our responsibility to make sure we have good guardrails in place, guard our hearts, make sure that if the organization ends up in a crisis, it's not because of something stupid we did. So those are the three things that crisis tends to come our way are the three reasons. And I want to jump into another list. And this is uh, six principles for leading through crisis. Um, and again, I would love for you to take notes. If you want to, I will happily get you these notes later. Um, and these are not exhaustive. This is just through my experience, what I've seen, what I've felt. Um, and I think these can be helpful for you. And so when, when you are in crisis, and I want to say this too, at the end, we're going to do a Q and a. And so if you think of a question, just jot it down and we'll come back to it. I would love to walk through that with you and let some of the folks in this room speak into that as well. Um, So there's six principles for leading through crisis. The first is this, do not let emotion take over because when a crisis comes our way, again, if it's in your family, in your work, in your church, whatever it is, when crisis comes your way, one of the first things you want to do is respond emotionally. Uh, Typically what happens is uh, pride or anger or fear tend to rise up in us. And we don't think rationally. And so what happens is we start jumping to conclusions. We start doing things we shouldn't be doing. And the, the, the emotion drives us. So here's some things you do. You focus on the facts. Um, one of the questions you should ask is, what, what do I really know? What do I really know about the situation? What am I making assumptions about? But what do I know? And focus on what you know. Focus on what you can do. Focus on, on who you need to care for. Um, in our church, it's easy when there's a crisis. If one of the first things we do is say, okay, who's impacted by this? Who do we need to check on? Who do we need to take care of? If you're in a sales environment, maybe you need to go, how does this impact our clients? How does this impact the people we're selling to? Um, maybe it's, it's, you guys need to check on your team, your staff. Oh my gosh, there's this crisis. Maybe I need to check on my team. So you need to ask yourself, who do I need to care for in this situation? The third thing is what needs to happen first? Um, so many times in crisis, we get overwhelmed by all the things that need to happen. And one of the healthiest things we can do is boil it down to the very first decision. What is the first thing we need to take care of? What is priority number one in this moment, in this season, in this crisis? And when we do that, it helps us, um, it helps us marginalize all the stuff that needs to be marginalized and helps us have a laser focus on an action plan, at least the very first step, um, And the fourth thing in the subcategory is this, uh, refuse to lose sight of the big picture because of crisis. I've seen lots of people in crisis, they lose sight of the big picture and they focus 
on the crisis and that's it. And as a result, the organization stops moving forward and now they're just trying to manage this crisis. Uh, the organization can lose momentum. The department can lose momentum. And if you've ever read John Maxwell, I love John Maxwell, and he talks about the power of the big mo. He talks about the power of momentum. When you have good momentum going, um, things that come up aren't that big a deal at all. Um, but when you have bad momentum or no momentum, then little things become big things. One of the things he talks about is, if you, um, if you take a one inch by one inch wooden block and put it under the drive wheel of a locomotive, it can't even get started. It can't even begin because it has no momentum. So one inch by one inch block can keep a locomotive from moving forward. But once a locomotive is moving at full speed, a 10 foot thick concrete wall cannot stop it. And this is the same in your organization. Uh, when we focus on the crisis, instead of keeping an eye on the organization, we will lose momentum and little crisis can end up stopping us from doing what we set out to do in the first place. So refuse to lose sight of the big picture because of the crisis. Um, uh, you're never gonna experience a crisis without fear. Every time you have a crisis in your life, if a family crisis in your company, there's gonna be fear. Um, you're going to be thinking, how does this impact me? What does this mean? But understand as a leader, we don't have the right to live in that place. It's our responsibility to set fear aside because everybody that you're leading is going to have some fear as well. It's our responsibility to lead people well through that and help them see that it's going to be okay. Um, if you, if you attend summit, I know most of you do, um, this last weekend, um, I got up and talked and I talked a little bit about my dad who passed away and I talked about some of the stuff I've gone through the last couple of weeks. And one of the reasons I did that is not because I wanted to or felt excited about it, but I knew that there's some people in our organization that they need to know that everything's going to be okay. That I needed to stand up in front of our church and say, hey, you know what, there's been a crisis in my own heart, in my own life, but you know what, guys, we're going to be okay. Because it's the responsibility of the leader to set aside their emotions in some of those cases and say, everything's going to be all right. Because we set the tone for our organization. Um, so... The first thing was, don't let emotion take over. The second thing is this, do not assess blame. Now let me clarify this. You should always investigate the cause of a crisis, but resist the urge to, to pin it on someone. And if you've been around a while, you've probably worked in organizations where when something happened, you immediately thought, oh no, they're gonna try to find somebody to blame for this. Who, who's to blame? Whose responsibility was that? And it's not so that they can fix the problem. It's so that they can go, well, it's not my fault. It's Jensen's fault. Jensen was supposed to do that and he didn't do it. And this is so unhealthy on so many levels when we do this because what it ends up doing is breeding mistrust in our organization, in our teams. Um, it's it's going to breed mistrust in the public because when somebody stands up, a leader stands up and says, hey, it's not my fault. It's their fault. What happens is people recognize bad leadership. Uh, people know when their leaders are being shifty. Um, it, just something, you can just sense when somebody is being just not totally honest, when something's not quite right. And so, um, so don't assess blame. Don't just look for someone to pin it on because when you do that, uh, it's, it's unhealthy. It doesn't solve the problem. Uh, always investigate the cause, figure out why that crisis happened so that you can fix it for the future, but resist the urge to pin it on somebody. Third thing is this. Seek wisdom from crisis veterans. Um, very rarely will you go through a crisis um, and you have all the expertise you need. Very rarely. Once in a while you will and you, you'll be like, man, I got this. I've been through this before and I can lead through this. I understand it. 
And so one of the things I would encourage you to do, one of my, one of my overseers, uh, John Nuzo, a wonderful leader, he's a pastor over in Cranberry Township, um, he says, learn from others that have been in your ditch. So when you are in a ditch and you get stuck, learn from others who have been in your ditch. But then he goes on to say this, learn from others who have made your ditch their expertise. Because there's going to be people that maybe their organization's not as big as yours. Maybe they, they're not as high a leader as you are uh, on the flow chart. But they have been in your ditch and they know all about it. And I would encourage you, get with them and wring every bit of knowledge you can and every bit of wisdom you can out of them. Uh, build relational equity and draw from it in crisis. The best time to make a friend is before you need a friend. So when you're in crisis... Uh, it might be too late to draw from someone who is an expert in your ditch. It's probably better to, to build those relationships beforehand. And then you can go back and go, man, I'm stuck. I've got the staff member who's doing this. Man, I, I've got this thing going on with my team and I don't understand how to navigate. Man, this blew up on us and what do we do? That's the wrong time to build those relationships. You build the relationships before so that you can reap the harvest when you get to that season. Fourth thing is this. Do not act too quickly. Um, this is not a political statement, so don't take it as one. Um, but some of you, it's weird to say this, some of you were not around on 9-11-2001. Uh, but those of you that were, you, you may remember this, this iconic picture of George W. Bush. Uh, he was reading to a class in Florida and his aide comes in and whispers in his ear, tells him that there's been an attack in New York City and the aide walks out and George Bush sits there. And he, he continues, but there's this image, this video of him just sitting there in the class for a little bit. He doesn't go, sorry class, I gotta get out of here, there's a crisis. He sits there and, and some people could look at that as a moment of weakness or indecision. Maybe he didn't know what he was doing. Um, but honestly, I look at it and I feel like this was brilliant because what it did is it allowed him uh, the space to think and the time to, to react and figure out what do we need to be doing? Because he didn't have all the information. He didn't know what was going on. And so one of the worst things he could have done is immediately leapt into action and said, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to take care of it. So he didn't act too quickly, and it actually paid off in the long run. Um, there's a book. There's several resources I'll mention to you at the end of this talk. Um, several books, and they're all really wonderful books. They're very different. Uh, there's a book called Forged in Crisis. It was written by Nancy Cohn. And uh, in Forged in Crisis, she says this, In our own white-hot moment, when so much of our time and attention is focused on instantaneous reaction, it seems almost inconceivable that nothing might be the best something we can offer. Because when crisis comes, many times we go, here's what I'm going to do. I've got to take care. I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. And sometimes the best thing we can do is pause and just wait and see what develops. Um, let's wait and see is not problematic. In crisis, let's wait and see might be the best thing that you can say. Hey, let's just wait and see what develops. Let's, let's wait and see what happens. I will tell you this. The one exception is when someone is in danger or causing danger to others. Um, if you've got a staff member who is subversive, who's causing problems in your organization, that's one time I would say, don't wait and see. You act decisively. Um, 
I, I had a conversation with a, a pastor this last week who's dealing with a staff member who they know is a bad fit and causing some problems on their team. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And they said, well, we're going to give us some time and see what happens. And I said, are you, are you crazy? And they said, well, no, because they're, they're pastors. They love people. They love Jesus. And I said, listen, the first time you realize that you made a mistake in hiring is when you need to fire them. It's not going to get better. It's not going, and especially if they're being subversive. If they're causing you problems, then you need to end it right now. It, it, don't wait and see, fix the problem. So this is where I would say that would be the one exception to the um, don't act too quickly. Uh, so with that said, that was number four. Number five is this. Do not wait too long. <laughs> so this feels like a little bit of double talk because I said don't act too quickly, but I'll say this as well. Uh, never let a little monster become a big monster. So many times um, we create our own crisis because we neglect little monsters. There's little issues. This person's a little subversive, but they're not real subversive, so I don't want to address it. And really what's happening is it's bad leadership on our part. We just don't want to have a hard conversation. So because of that, this little monster becomes a big monster. And then when we finally do address it, what we're doing is we're addressing behavior that's been going on for six months or eight months or a year, whatever it is. And it seems unfair because they're acting the same way they've been acting. But now we've got to address the situation. And so I would say never let a little monster become a big monster. Uh, address a situation when you need to address the situation. Um, Again, if you're part of Summit, you might remember this. We've got this um, old 17,000 square foot youth and kids facility that's connected to our, our building here. And we built that. We've been in it about two and a half, two and a half years now. It was a $4 million building. And the week before I announced this vision to our church that we're going to build a youth and kids facility to minister to families in our community and help us reach more people. And I'm it's so exciting. The week before, and this is, I'm not slamming them. My kids and youth pastor told me that they were planning to resign and we're building a kids and youth building. And so I've got to figure out what does this look like? Because they've known for a little while that they were thinking about leaving, but they, they just didn't feel comfortable telling me. And so here we are a few days, literally days before I'm announcing this huge thing that we're doing, this new direction, this vision. And now I've got to say, oh, and by the way, the people that are running these departments are not going to be here with us for the building. And in my mind, I'm going, this is terrible. This is horrible. This is a crisis in this moment. Um, and so I had to figure out the timing. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to talk them into staying because this is a side note. The second somebody resigns or quits your team, you don't talk them into staying because if, if you do, then they've got the power in your relationship. <laughs> so now they feel like they own you. So when somebody resigns, they resign. And so I wasn't talking them into staying. So now I've got to figure out what does this look like? What does the timing look like? I don't want to step on this announcement, but I also don't want to delay because if I delay too long, it looks like we're being deceptive. And so I don't want to delay the announcement that they're leaving too long. And so I announced uh, week one, hey, we're building this building. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. Here's what we're doing. Woo! People were so excited. And then the next weekend we came back and said, yeah, we're building the building and we're excited. I need to let you know something, by the way. We love Matt. We love Eli. These guys are great. They've been a great part of our team, but they've made a decision to move on. Man, we support them. We're for them. It's going to be okay. And so we approached it that way. We didn't wait too long. Uh, we acted in a time that we felt like was timely, but it was challenging. Um, and again, if you wait too long, it looks like you're being deceptive. And the worst thing you can do in crisis 
is lose the trust of the people you're leading. So you never, ever, ever do anything that could be viewed as deceptive, if you can at all help it. So don't wait too long. Uh, the sixth thing, number six, and this is the final one, is this, and it goes right along with that. Be honest. Um, don't hide the truth. Address it directly. Uh, be honest with the people you're leading. They will appreciate that. Um, and the way you handle crisis says something to the people that you're leading. It says something about the way you're going to handle crisis or the crisis they might be going through. What ultimately happens is um, we build trust through that. Whenever we're honest and we own, if I can say it this way, own a loss. Hey, man, we blew it as a team and I'm not blaming it. It was my fault. You know what? I thought we should do this and we didn't. And so, you know what? Here's where we're at. And I just want you to know I'm sorry, but we're going to do better in the future. It, it, it's crazy the amount of trust it builds with people whenever they see someone lead that way. And so I want to encourage you in this. Um, when you have a crisis, when you experience a loss, when you blow it as a team and you know it was so-and-so's fault, the bad news is um, the leader takes the blame for that. Uh, as the pastor of this church, um, I probably get too much credit uh, for what happens here. But, but I'll tell you this, as a leader, my goal is to take more blame than I deserve and less credit than I deserve. And if I do that, my team is going to be better. My team is going to be healthy. It's going to build trust in our organization. It's going to help people see that, that when we talk, when we say things, we mean it, they can trust us. And it, it builds a safety net for future crises. So when something happens down the line and we get up and we say, hey, guys, we blew it. and Here's why. Or, man, we messed up. Or, hey, we tried to do this and it didn't work out. But, man, it's going to be okay. People go, yeah, it's going to be okay. Um, here at Summit, we have uh, annual business meetings once a year. And every church is, should have business meetings. But our business meetings are so boring, they're ridiculous. Um, people don't even come to our business meetings. Members don't come to our business meetings because there's no drama in our church. People show up to business meetings when there's drama. So if there's problems and there's issues, everybody will come out for a business meeting. But honestly, I think last year we had uh, 90, 95 members show up for our business meeting and it wasn't like we were hiding it. We announced it, but just people went, eh, it's good. You know what? We trust you guys. It's going to be all right. And uh, it's not yay me, but I'm just telling you, when you build a culture of trust that, hey, through crisis, through issues, through problems, you can trust us, uh, it's amazing how much easier it is to manage crisis down the road. That's why nobody shows up to our business meetings, because they go, okay, well, we trust you guys, and if there's a problem, we know you're going to handle it, so, yeah, go ahead. And, uh, and that's something for us as leaders that is priceless. Um, let me share a couple resources with you real quick. If you, are, if you enjoy reading, all these books are available on Amazon. A couple of them, I believe, are available on, on, um, on uh, what is it, uh, Audible as well on Amazon if you do that. Uh, the first is this, Chief Crisis Officer. It's by James F. Haggerty. And uh, in the book, Chief Crisis Officer, Haggerty, uh, he takes a tactical approach it's very nuts and bolts. Uh, here's what you do in crisis. Here's what you do leading up to crisis. Um, he talks about the speed of crisis. Uh, that's how you handle it. Uh, you know, it might be an exploding crisis or it might be an evolving crisis. So if you're in a lawsuit as an organization, that might be an evolving crisis. If, 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 um, if you were BP and uh, you've got a well that begins dumping hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, that is an exploding 
crisis, right? Those are two different things. So he navigates, what does that look like? How do we address those things? Uh, he talks about three things that companies should do leading up to crisis before they ever have one. And so he talks about designating a, a chief crisis officer. Uh, it's somebody who's below a CEO, but they have decision-making ability. Someone who's ready to respond in, in, in uh, case of a crisis. Um, a, a point, a rapid response team. So a group of people when a crisis arises that they can approach that and then, um, then train them, give them some scenarios to work through. So that, that's kind of a nutshell of chief crisis officer. Um, Crisis Leadership by Tim Johnson. I like this book a little bit more personally uh, because his focus is not as much on the nuts and bolts as much as it is on creating a, a, a culture of crisis resolution in your organization. So how do we create a culture in our organization where people understand crisis is going to come and we're going to respond to it in a healthy way. Um, and so that's a great book, Crisis Leadership by Tim Johnson. And then um, Nancy Cohn, who I referenced earlier, she wrote a book. Uh, called uh, Forged in Crisis. And what she does is she takes a look at five different historic leaders and how they dealt with crisis. Um, and it really is, it's an excellent book as well. Um, but it's, it's a little more, if, if you like history, that's a great book for you. Um, but all those are great resources and don't feel like you have to read them all at all. At all. But if you're a reader, feel free to dive into those. So... Guys, I love you. Appreciate you coming tonight. And uh, we'll see you next month. Bring somebody with you. God bless you.